Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Children's Division podcast. I am Daryl Missy, the director of Children's Division. I'm here with our with our producer and communications guru, Ashton Kiefer. How are you today, Ashton? I'm great, Daryl. Good. Thanks for thanks for uh, bringing me back. Well, we're gonna we're gonna work with you over and over again because you're the you're the podcast master. It is great to do podcasts with you. I am I am so excited about our podcast today because today everybody. Uh, everybody gets to meet Daniel Corley, which is just exciting, exciting for me. Uh, she, uh, she's sort of an introvert and doesn't, doesn't, uh, you know, want to talk about herself, she says. And so when I, when I announced to the world that, you know, the, the, the new deputy is going to be Daniel Corley, people, some people went like, who, who are you talking about? <laughs> who is she? Who is she? So today you're going to get to find out who is Danielle Corley. That's going to be, that's going to be the question that's going to be answered today. How are you, Danielle? I'm doing well. Good. You're going to say more than that. Let yeah. me tell you. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to pull it. I'm going to pull it out of her. We're going to, we're going to have a talk. So Danielle and I go a long way back. Uh, a very long way back. I was, uh, yeah, it's like how how long there? Well, I was a I was a young lawyer litigating in Jefferson County, and she was a social worker, you know, doing her work at Children's Division uh, back in the day before I ran for judge, and things were very difficult and hard, and and I saw her way back then just operate in this space with the right heart, uh, doing the right things, taking care of people. It was a powerful thing, and so we've been, you know, we've been. Uh, we've been in and out of each other's lives for many, many years now since that time. And uh, when this when this opportunity occurred, I thought I, I, I get to just put somebody there that I know that would be right for this and uh, that I knew I can trust and that I knew would be just terrific for the agency. I knew Danielle was our person. So here she is. Uh, Daniel Corley is in the room. So, um, so why don't you just tell us about yourself? How would you, you know, where'd you grow up and where'd you go and how did you wind up at Children's Division? Let's see. I grew up in Eureka, so I've always been a Missouri girl and kind of ventured through lots of, when you talk about how I ended up here and how I, how I came to be here, I would say I, I had lots of touch points along the way with grandparents and my brother and my mom and um, just lots of service opportunities were afforded to me as I was growing up. And so that, that played a huge role in molding what I, what I wanted to do. What and did you want to do? Did you I, say, I, 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 wanna, I, I want to be really the deputy sure. director of children's division. That's what I, I want. That never came out of my mouth. <laughs> 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 I am excited and honored to be in that role, but that never really crossed my mind. It didn't. Um, so what did you study? You went off, you, you graduated from Eureka High School, graduated right? Graduated from Eureka. You know, only sort of, only sort of. Uh, by the way, the adjacent school district to Northwest High School. So, you know, it's go like... Go Wildcats. Yeah, go go Lions. <laughs> All right. So it's, uh, you know, I ran cross-country races over there. So uh, I ran cross-country. Our first meet of the year, I ran cross-country every year at Northwest High School. Northwest, the old Northwest High the School. The old Northwest, the Northwest Invitational. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That was it. Those, those were the days. We could talk, share stories about the, car, the cross-country course. So... Uh, so you, you graduated from Eureka, which we won't hold against you. Uh, and then you went to college. Where'd you go? What'd and you then I moved along to Central Methodist College because that's what it was back then. Uh, played soccer over at Central Methodist, which was really what I was excited about when I was thinking about going to college because I didn't know what else I wanted to do, really. Um, I knew that my mom was a teacher and a director of special ed for her entire life. And I had heard her teacher stories 
all all the way along saying, oh, I don't know if you want to do teaching because you know how it is with being in a service service arena. And so every teacher says that. I know. You don't want to do this. <laughs> so, so does every lawyer for what it's worth. You know? <laughs> By the way, every lawyer t- tells their children, don't, don't. Don't go to law school. Don't do this thing. So my, my daughters did not. So there we are. So you did not go into teaching that. I didn't. So was it excluded? I mean, it was. I'm just. I'm going to do anything but other teaching. than teaching. Yeah. Yep. And it was a really great career for her. So it's really funny. And I, I love. I have a ton of teacher friends, and it probably would have been a great career for me too. However, I love that I fell into um, the career that I've been in with children. So what did you division. study? Soccer. You majored so, in soccer. I did love soccer. It was a lot of fun and. It, it required a lot of schoolwork too, so it, it balanced me out well. But I ended up studying sociology because they didn't have social work at Central Methodist. So I was the first person to graduate with a sociology degree from Central Methodist College. Oh, cool! Kind of exciting, right? That is exciting. Put you're, that on a resume. Yep. Yeah, you're like a you're like a pioneer. I know, I know. Now, granted, there were 800 kids at the school at the time, but whichever, it was it worked out great. <laughs> And then I so went on. Go ahead. What, 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 did you go to work or did you go to, back to more school? Nope. I went to work at St. Joseph's Home for Boys. Okay. I and bet that sounds fun. St. Louis City. It was a blast. So I had um, 12, 13-year-old boys on my on my team. We had 12-hour shifts and it was so much fun. But obviously, it's you know you, you move around and move along. And so I started interviewing with Children's Division. Um, and ended up getting my first job in Jefferson County as an alternative care worker. All right. And that's where we encountered each other. Yep. Tell me about your experience there. Um, well, on my first day, I walked into a caseload of, back then we counted families and not kids. And so I had about 40 families or so. And my supervisor that I had been assigned to was having her retirement party that day. And so I, I ended up going, I, I had about, uh, I would, I think 12 is a safe estimate of supervisors my first year wow. in Jefferson County, which was, you know, it's, it's historically, <clears throat> it's a busy county. And so, um, and then on top of that, we had some, uh, it, it, so a learning curve. And then we had some, some struggles with, um, community partners back then at the time. Um, and, and we all, we all ended up doing what we needed to do and, um, it ended up working out, but I eventually moved on to investigations and. Now, did you move on before or after I got elected judge there? Um, gosh, it was probably right around the same time because after that, I, that is when I transferred to St. Charles and ended up becoming their circuit manager. But it was probably right around the right, same time. Right around the same time. Mm-hmm. So you decided, I, I don't want to work with that crazy guy. I'm getting, I'm, no, I'm, I'm no. Count. I was no, ecstatic I, when you were running for judge. That was the change that we needed, and it served Jefferson County really well. Well, we were, we, were, we were tackling there a lot of the same things that we <clears> tackle <throat> here, which are, you know, philosophical difficulties with people thinking that they, you know, uh, are going are, are gonna to fix everything and everybody and, Trample, trample people's rights in the process, and not and not listen to people, and just not exercise any compassion mm-hmm. or thoughtfulness. I mean, that's the long and the short of it is, is that's what I ran against, and I won. And lo and behold, there I am. And so I show up, and you instantly disappear. And I, that's my recollection too. I, got, I won the <laughs> I won the election, and suddenly Daniel was gone. All right. So then you you went to St. Charles, and went to St. Charles became the circuit manager up there, and then. 
um, worked on my master's degree while I was up there. I did that at Missouri Baptist. Okay. And it's a master's in business administration. Business administration. Because I wasn't sure that I wanted to do this forever. I just, you know, there's good times and bad times in this agency. 100% am very thankful that I ended up um, here as long as I've been here. But I was, so yeah, so circuit manager in St. Charles and then was approached about being a um, an executive director over at a children's advocacy center. And so ended up interviewing for that and um, had that position. And did, I did lots of fun stuff there. You know, I did grant writing. I did lots of fundraising because that's what you do when you're working at 501c3s is you do lots of fundraising. Um, but we did forensic interviews for children's division. So I still had my connection there. And our CACs, um, the CAC that I worked at, it just felt a, a little bit more quiet, if that makes sense, yeah. than all of everything that goes on at Children's Division. So I, I never quite adjusted to the quietness, despite having 10 counties at my CAC, I never quite adjusted to the quietness. And so I was really looking forward to coming back. So you were bored is what I'm hearing. I wasn't bored. I yeah. wasn't bored. <laughs> Believe you me, I wasn't bored. Um, but... I did. I just, I missed the work that we did. I missed the people that we, that, that I worked with. And um, so how long were you there? I was there for about two and a half, three years. Okay. And then you came back, came back as a field support manager for the Northern region. All right. And that's yeah. what you did until, and that's what I did until this. Okay. So, yeah. uh, you did this because I asked you to, uh, yeah. how, how do you, that, that's it. She, she did this because I asked you. To. So how many years then with CD do you have? So probably I started in ninety seven ish. Twenty five? Yeah, probably right about that. Yeah. Yeah. As I've told people when uh when the the when our deputy directors came on, we increased the 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 field experience of this place by decades. Yeah. I don't want to say how many decades because I don't want anybody to feel like they're, you know, over the hill or anything like that, but it's, it's, a, it's a lot of time, you know, you figure that, you know, we talked last time with Angie, how long she has, and then, uh, you know, we're going to talk with Tiffany about how much time she has. It's, it's, it's significant. That experience is very, very significant. Mm-hmm. So, so here you are, you are now the deputy director of, well, I guess the original name is prevention and safety. We're told you can't just change the names of things. Well, yeah, well, we call what we we'll call it what we call it. But so it was uh, prevention and safety, and and we've had a conversation about the idea that uh, prevention and response is probably a more accurate and a more accurate statement of what it really is. What 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 are your thoughts on that? Why do you think that's so? My original thought on that was, uh, you know, that I, I a long time ago when I was in St. Charles, I worked with. Um, a man named Ray Grush, and he had a, we had regular conversations. He was a good mentor for me. He was a juvenile officer there, he right? He was. He was our chief juvenile officer. And he um, he said to me at one point, just nonchalantly, and he truly believed it, um, that agencies aren't meant to raise kids. <clears throat> and so that that is held, held, that stayed with me forever. And so one of the things that I, I realized along the way is I couldn't have done my job at any point in time without all of the other organizations that help us without law enforcement, without our children's advocacy centers, without department of mental health, our educators there, we have part, I mean, everybody is our partner basically that's working with kids. And so, 
Um, and the other piece that I realize is that we are not, we are there in a family's life for a small period of time. And so can we say that a child is safe while we're out there for the 30 minutes that we're out there, while we're out there for an hour, even if we're out there for two hours, can we say that they're safe while we are there sitting with them? We absolutely, we absolutely can, or we can't, and then we take other actions, right? But for the most part, safety is not, we're, we're part of a response team to child abuse and neglect, to potential child abuse and neglect, or hopefully going forward to preventing child abuse and neglect. That's our, that is our response to um, the types of things that create the scenario for abuse and neglect. Yeah. So I hear two things there. I hear one is that we're not in this alone. Uh, nobody can assure safety, you know, uh, on their own. No, no, no agency, no group, no, nobody can do that. And, and the other thing being that it, it, it's, it, cannot be foolproof either because right. because we we are living in a we're living in a world which is not always safe and so what you, what do you do you do your best what do you what what kind of respond what what do you do you respond you respond as you're supposed to right? and we respond with appropriate people you know it's i mentioned previously we we have response times for our hotlines but you know law enforcement tends to get places quicker than we do so you know but i i don't know that law enforcement could be charged solely with the safety of a child but yeah, that's our that's our team's name, and so it just some just some things that I've thought about since I've been here is just prevention and response feels a little bit more accurate, but um, there's definitely a safety component to it, and that's always our you know our hope is that we're creating space for kids to be safe. Sure. So what so. falls under? So what falls? The organizational chart is over there. What what falls? What falls under you? Uh, so on the front end of my team is um, Lauren Hall. She's our unit manager for prevention. And so she is uh, working on the front end of the Family First Prevention Services Act. And she has got, you know, CTA, Children's Treatment Services um, on her team. And she's got family-centered services on her team. Ashton just did a great pamphlet for our family-centered services Thanks. team. It looks really great. Um, I just saw it before I walked in here. And then I have Ryan Harris, who runs the state's out-of-home investigation unit. And they've got people all over the state. And then I have Casey Gilmore on my team, and she runs the entire hotline. They have people all over the state. and But they take all of our calls online or uh, via phone call. And then Kara Wilcox is the unit manager for CAN, and she also has... Uh, the central consult unit with her, but human trafficking and critical incidents and all of that type of thing falls into Kara's crew. It's quite a lot. It's, it's a bit. Yeah. It, it's 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 a a big chunk of what the agency does, right? So yes. so what cool things are happening there? What do you think as you've come in saying we we got some really awesome stuff going on there? What do you what are you excited about? So the prevention piece is super exciting to me. Um, anything that we can do to get families connected to services. And I would even venture to say get families connected to services before they ever even have a touch point with us would be ideal. So that that's kind of the direction that we would look to head um, is working on some community pathway to get people connected to prevention services. And then beefing up our family-centered services uh, cases, you know, we, we're hoping to get a few new workers. It's going to happen. 
I'm telling you, I'm very confident. For FCS? It's going to happen. That would be wonderful. And what we'd like to see there is outbasing some of those workers. So if we have a, if we can identify a, a, a place where we're getting a lot of phone calls from or there's a lot of concerns, then could we put a worker in that school, in that sheriff's office, in that hospital, and so they can coordinate together and make sure that that's what's really going on and can that worker help connect services before families get too deep with us. So that would be ideal so we can partner with whoever, where wherever those are. And then... Well, and that's a new way of thinking, right? <clears throat> because before it was always like, okay, we're going to establish a caseload and we're going to have you operate in a caseload with a certain number of things that you do. But this is more, you're going to occupy a space. Right. You know, you're going to go and... Uh, be a part of your community. And, and partner with the people who are there and... Uh, you know, I, I I can't help but think about, you know, the connection and the similarities to law enforcement in some mm-hmm. ways. And the way we have done things, I'll go off on my tangent, you know, the way we've done things has been a little bit like, you know, well, we're looking at a spreadsheet and figuring out how to do things by spreadsheet. And I just, I just imagine going back to Jefferson County and telling Sheriff Marshak, hey, Sheriff, you don't, we're going to cut your allocations. You're not going to have, you're losing 10 deputies because you don't have enough people to jail. Well, wait a minute. Uh, I don't have people in the jail because I've got those deputies. You know, it's like, it's got 660 square miles and 220 something thousand people. We have to police that area. We have to be present in that area. You know, you, you have, how many things don't happen because, because my old bailiff used to take overtime and go to the football game at Northwest High School. Uh, the answer is a lot of things did not happen because he was present, right? Because he was, and doing work and, and engaging the community. And building relationships, and relationships are huge. All, all of that. So if we have yeah. our people in those kinds of spaces, uh, you know, counting the beans is going to be a lot less important than than knowing the connections and the work that they're doing to do things. So it's, I appreciate that. It's a, new, it's a new way of thinking, isn't it? It is. It is. It's exciting. It's And I don't know. Their children's division doesn't always have the uh, it, families don't always feel comfortable with children's division, and so why would yeah, that be? The idea think? of being able to turn that around a little bit, and uh, there there are plenty of families who do appreciate us, but the, you know there. Well, we're just, what's what's the reputation? You've been out there all this time. I mean, what do you what do you, what do people? What do people say to you and say, I work at Children's Division, if they know what Children's Division is? Well, truthfully, I get a lot of, that. that's a tough job. And I, yeah. I don't know that our job is significantly tougher than a teacher's, a law enforcement person. I mean, there there are plenty of people who have, who have tough jobs, but um, there's a, it's also a very rewarding career. Or I don't think that those of us who have been here would still be here. I mean, it's, right. there, there are a lot of good stories that go along with the heartache, too. So... Um, well, I mean, I think, I think, you know, the things you're talking about are changing, changing the way we do things in a way that the community will look differently at us. Because I think some people are afraid of us uh, because we take people's children. I mean, it's like, oh, my gosh, oh, my, my sister, you know, works at a, you know, works as a social worker at the Salvation Army. And she says people sometimes are afraid to tell her everything they need because they're afraid they're going to get hotlined. And, you know, trying to change the culture where... Uh, we are we are not scary anymore, yeah. but we're seen as people who are coming to help. That would change a lot of. That's a very things. that's a very real fear. I did a lot of uh, I spent a lot of time with a ministry in North St. Louis in the Greater Ville um, called Bridge of Hope, 
And I did some strategic planning with them. I did a lot of just hanging out in the hangout center um, with people that would come in to visit for different services or simply to hang out and have a, a space to be. Uh, and that that came up regularly that people were afraid of children's division. People are afraid. And, and I, I would venture to say people um, can sometimes, community members can sometimes lump government and children's division together. And so sometimes they, you know, we were referred to as you know, social workers or children's division or the government or, you know, anything along those lines. So that I, again, I go back to um, the relationship is really important for people to start trusting us and knowing that we are here to help because I truly believe that I, I think you do the, the best you can with what you know. And when you know better, you do better. And so um, moving forward, I, I hope that people will see us as a, as a support, as somebody that's in their corner and somebody that's for their kids and for them to heal and not feel that people are out there hotlining them for things that they shouldn't be hotlined for. So what kind of things are we hoping to do uh, in, in the prevention oh space besides have just have the people out there? What uh, And we're going to get them, by golly, we're going to uh, we're going to get them. What, what what kind of things are we looking to do? Um, let's see. So we have home visiting, the home visiting piece is going to be an important component to things. There's going to be um, some wraparound type services that are, that are going to prove to be important, I'm sure. Um, we're talking about, uh, right now we're getting ready to work with a judge who uh, works with substance affected families. And so, and, and, and that is an effort to keep children out of foster care even though their parents are using drugs and uh, but their parents also have to agree to to work with a team of people to be able to do that and that is a step in the right direction there are other models out there you've been visiting with there are other models out there where the judge doesn't have to be involved at all and there are other community uh, organizations who are wrapping around families substance abuse is for all of the fun things that we've talked about today substance abuse is very very real in Missouri um, mental health struggles are very, very real in Missouri. And so there, there are going to be um, prevention services that have to um, be willing to work with families and uh, their kids in the best way possible, hoping to keep them as safe as possible, but getting them the services that they need. So a lot of our focus right now is surrounding um, substance use, mental health, um, those are the drivers, aren't they? Yep, those are I the I mean, aid. if it weren't for, I tell people all the time, if, if it weren't for drugs and alcohol, uh, we would not have jobs. Right. Uh, but, of course, there's the mental illness piece of that, too, which, you know, my, my family personally experienced, and, and a lot of them do. And a lot of those times, a lot of times, those things go together, don't they? I mean, the substance abuse and the, and the, uh, and the mental illness and, you know, their co-occurring disorders and people are self-medicating. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the idea that we would respond in some other way than automatic removal is uh, it's a sea change. It really is, it is. A, a, a new way of thinking. And, you know, when you've got judges, uh, you know, being willing to say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, seeing the, I'm seeing the pain that we're causing. I'm seeing the difficulties we create by automatically having a reaction before we tell somebody, look, let's try to, let's try to help you hold it together. Uh, that's a powerful thing, and so and a lot of work. There's a lot going to go into making all that happen. There right? but there, I, truly, I mean, you know this. You know this. There are very few kids who don't want to be with their families. 
And so we've, we've got to look at a different way of doing things. I don't know what you said our numbers were um, today, but I'm sure you have that. Uh, 13,142, which kids is... Kids in foster care. Kids in foster care, which is the lowest number we've had uh, since I've been here. It's, it's about almost 900 down from when we started. So... It's a re- we're making movement just by just by changing the mindset. You know what? What I'm really excited about is the possibility that by actually getting some services in place, we can slow down the incoming. You know, that's the whole. It, it, well, it is, we, it, it changes the, the course. I mean, it changes the course for kids just long term. Because if you, we talk about substance abuse regularly, and if you think about the the touch points that kids miss when their parents or are under the influence. That, that's pretty significant. And then those kids grow up to be parents and that's what they knew. Um, it, 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 that was their childhood and that's what they knew as parenting. And so there are pieces of this that are really important for generations to come. Yeah, I was gonna, I was so, gonna use the word generations. It's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a generational impact. If you can help somebody get to sobriety now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, did a, I did a treatment court back in Jefferson County and I have, I have had the opportunity online. Facebook changes everything. You can watch these people. I've watched people raise their families, raise their children mm-hmm. uh, because they found sobriety and the level of connectedness and, and happiness you see in those spaces. It's really powerful uh, where it could have been just disjointed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, seven different placements, uh, you know, uh, the things, all the things that we hear about when people lose their connections. Right? So... I feel like, you know, today's culture has really uh, banded around that idea, though, too, now. Um, People aren't just keeping their mental illness to themselves as much anymore. It's not taboo to say, hey, I have a problem and I need help. Um, I feel like that's sort of, at least my social media, that's what I see a lot of. Is I I see a lot more people um, in in this generation, I guess my generation, coming forward and, and being more open about their mental health struggles, their abuse or um, addiction struggles. And it's, it's um, I think it really is a step in the right direction. Oh, I do too. I would agree with that wholeheartedly because it used to be something that people covered up. I mean, I, I, I had lots of alternative care clients, um, their parents who um, suffered with mental illness. And it was something that um, it, it just wasn't, it, you know, you, you tried to get them help kind of discreetly and you tried to get them, but it wasn't something that was, Hey, we've got, we've got to talk about this. We've got to do something and let's include the whole family. Let's, you know, let's make this everybody's you know, recovery because it's not just a recovery once it's going to be, there's going to be episodes. If you've got some mental health stuff going, there's going to be episodes all the way along. And so you need to know that that's normal. And there's going to be this we're going to recover from this one. We're going to recover from the next one. And, and that there are people just surrounding them. So, well, and you know that by virtue of your experience in the field, having seen it, mm-hmm. you know, having seen it over and over again for many years. I mean, we had, we had, we had uh, common clients as it were, you know, that mm-hmm. people that are in cases we were both involved in who, who I think fit that description. There was right. deep depression going on in that space. I think that is the legacy of my mom. I think Diane Missy's legacy uh, is that, you know, uh, you know, because I, 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 I tell the story. She had severe bipolar disorder. I mean, the real deal kind of bipolar disorder. And and she was so open about it. She was so she never we had a like I said, families coming together. We had a family meeting 
when she, I was seven years old and she was first going to the hospital. It was, it was the most coherent she had been in weeks. And she basically said, I have to go away. I have a sickness. Some people have sicknesses that affect different parts of their body. I have a sickness that affects my brain. The stuff in my brain isn't working right. They've got to send me there to work on it. And then she was seeing things that weren't there. You know, I mean, it was, if you've seen the movie, It's a Beautiful Mind. If you're interested in the mental health issue, watch the movie, It's a Beautiful Mind. And I, I, it's one of my favorite movies because of this. I will watch it. Every time I watch it, I will cry. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, John Nash was a, a you know, a, a Nobel Prize winning mathematician who had schizophrenia. And his wife was this faithful, loving person who's going to help him regardless. And I, Get, I mean, I, I watch that movie, I go, my mother is John Nash. And my wow. father is his wife. You know, I mean, they are, it's the same thing. And when you watch, when you, when you know, first of all, from our perspective, that can be made safe with supports. For sure. You know, uh, it, 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 it comes with peril, like a lot of things in our lives do. But it can be made safe with supports uh, and that it could happen to you or me. I mean, it, it could and, and, and anybody. And so when we, when we treat it like a biological condition, like it is, uh, we change our approach to the whole thing and, and operate with, a, I think, a whole lot more mercy and compassion and reasonableness. And kids, I mean, the whole reason, you know, we were talking earlier, it's likewise, why is, uh, why, why is Danielle here? Well, because I asked her to be here because of, because of me. And I'm here uh, because of Diane. You know, I'm here because of my mom. And, and our understanding, I think, our, our common understanding that not every trouble a family has should cause it to be dismembered. Correct. Right? Yes. Hands down. That's... Or, or even, or even involved with our agency, and I think that's probably where we're headed with this prevention piece. Because if we can just strengthen communities to be able to help their families, then Children's Division can do what we're set up to do. Well, because there's there's trauma in the investigation, right? Right. Oh, for sure. I mean, you think about this. I, I tell, I mean, I tell people all the time. Think about the movie King Richard. Did you see the movie King Richard? No. King Richard. King Richard is movie. Uh, about the father of Venus and Serena. Oh Williams. yes, I did. Yes, you saw the movie. Yep. You know, you see, you see the, okay. you see the movie, and you know, my my wife told me said, "There's a part of this movie you got to watch." You so you know, when 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 they're when they're going to play tennis in the rain, watch what happens. So they went out and played tennis in the rain, and somebody hotlined them uh, for playing yeah. tennis in the rain, and. And uh, an investigation happened. The investigator comes over, and they know who did the hotline. So the wife goes over and tells, don't you ever do this to me again. And what I tell people is significant about that is that this is a story about Venus and Serena Williams' life. And the hotline call made the movie. I mean, it made the movie. I mean, other traumatic or difficult or troublesome things, you know, getting a flat tire on the interstate did not make the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that but that made the movie. And so understand you know, what we do impacts people. It does. Right? It does. So it's a, it's a, uh, it's a good way to think about it. Danielle it really is. Do you have any other thoughts? Right. I'm worried about this now. Because, because, you know, Ashton <laughs> Ashton's these, got the tough questions. Ashton <laughs> asks these great questions. She takes notes and she asks these probing, wonderful questions that cause us to sit in here and cry. It's fantastic. 
it's fantastic. So do you, you have... know what? You know what? I'll take that because I'm I'm, you know, and Andrews Angie's. We talked a lot about Child Advocacy Day, and let me tell you, I made. At least two people cry that day, probably three or four by the time the day was said and done by asking my questions. So I will take that as a, a as a criticism, but it's like a, a no, good no, thing. No, 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 it's a, I it's would a, take it as a good thing. Like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a talent. I think it's I'll a, take it as a talent. It's a, it's, it's a talent. Of you getting, read people well. That's what that means. To getting to the heart of the matter. And that's, that's a, it's a talent, Ashton. So that's why we love having you here. You have, you have other thoughts, right? I do. So, um... I actually had a couple things off of that last one, but now I don't remember what they were. I'll give you my my last big question. You mentioned, you know, you talked so much about in your career, like you had 12 different supervisors in your first year. Oh. Like that to me sounds like a nightmare for any new job. Okay. Then in like your the retirement on your first day, you... You talk about that, but then you also said it's a rewarding job, mm-hmm. and I and and that you came back. So, um, when you think about your career and when you think about um, everything that has led up to this point, can you think of a specific moment that just really hit home to a point that you said, "I'm in the right place." This is where I'm meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, what what has you keep coming back, you know, for more of Children's Division? When it, when yeah. we just talked about how difficult of situations and, and things that you can be put in here. I cannot give you one specific, but I will tell you, and I think anybody that has been on any team that I've been on will tell you that our frontline staff is my first priority. Um, because I know that if we take good care of them, they're going to take good care of our families. And so that is extremely important to me. It always has been probably because I came in and had 12 supervisors, probably because I, you know, there were, there were times that I was given caseloads because somebody left. Well, I already had a caseload of 40 and now I've got 40 more. And, you know, there's fire tape wrapped around my desk as a joke because I had so many files. And so, but I had, there were people all the way along that encouraged me. There were mentors, whether it was internal or external, that encouraged me. But there is always, my my responsibility, my heart has always been with our, our frontline workers, knowing that we we have to support them, we have to take care of them so they can go do the really hard stuff that, that we need them to do. Um, and so I think that has what's, that that's what's always kept me grounded. That's what's always kept me here. That's what, that's, that's important to me is, you know, frontline supervisors probably second to that because they're the ones that are supporting them truly. And so I think that we just have to make sure that we're taking good care of our people and then making sure that we know that they, they in in turn are equipped to go out and take good care of our bigger group of people, our communities. So that's probably my big that is what you read in leadership books. Uh, they, they, they all the time they say that you you got to take care of the people in your organization so that they take care of the people that they can take care of. You know they 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 will take care of the customer. They you don't have to worry about the you don't have to worry about the shareholders or the customer. If you take good care of the people who are taking care of the people, the thing will get done. Yeah, right? and that's I I I'm just anytime somebody's asked, that's been my response on it for years, and and part of it is because. I've not been taken care of at times, and then there have been people that have taken really good care of me. And so I feel like I've grown up in this agency, and it's I love it. 
Well, that's that's part of what that's part of what I thought I, I thought was powerful about putting you in this spot because I I've, I've seen that firsthand. I mm-hmm. saw you do great work under difficult circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, when you had when you had and and part of the reason that staffing was was terrible in that county was because the because the the court partners were were just eating people alive. I mean, that was a piece of the that was a piece of the problem, and uh, and. And man, Danielle just hung in there and took care. Was going to take care of these people. Was going to take care of these kids. Was going to take care of their parents. Was going to take care of people. And uh, I know that she knows the importance of taking care of our folks who are taking care of folks. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's all really powerful stuff. So, final thought. Yeah. You know, what's your? If you could wave magic wand, right? Okay. What's your vision? I mean, what do you want to see this agency be look like? What do you? Where, where do you want to see us in five years? What What's your vision? My vision, my best hope would be that we have our prevention work up and running and it's a well-oiled machine by then because that's five years down the road. So it will be. And um, that uh, we're doing really children's division. We're doing the pieces, you know, our child abuse and neglect. We're handling those high end, truly necessary CD involvement type cases. You know, we've got our our foster children in foster care we've got that number um to where it should be i don't i don't have a magic number for that i don't i wouldn't say cut in half i wouldn't say i would say i would would say it's seven (laughs) thousand i would say that we have the kids in care who need to be in who need to be in care who don't have family members that they can live with who don't have you know who who shouldn't be back home should be back home with parents just i i just want the the kids who should be there to be there so they're safe, right? The safe right. as we can possibly make them. And then I want our agency, our investigators, and our assessors handling those cases that need to be assessments and investigations. And then I want our prevention to handle the rest of it. Right. So. Which, which we would never have to worry, would we, uh, about making reasonable efforts if we if we had right. done or done, hadn't done that, it would be automatic, right? Right. right. So, well, it's a, it's a great vision. Well, Daniel, I want to thank you for. Uh, having this conversation with us today. It was really terrific. I, I hope that all of you who are listening, I hope all of you are listening, but I hope that all of you who are listening uh, get it, understand, you know, uh, you know why Danielle's sitting here. She's got the right heart. She's got the right vision. She's uh, just a good, good friend and, and a wonderful colleague. And uh, thank you for doing it, Danielle. I, 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 publicly thanking you for, for doing this thing and for serving us and, uh, and for serving our kids and families. So thank you very much. Thanks, Daryl. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you very much, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Listen to more episodes of this podcast or our newest podcast, The Call to Foster, wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help us reach and inspire more Missourians. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.